What does it mean to be a serious Christian? I think about that often as I continue to interact with Christians and wonder what is it that's keeping them from becoming serious Christians. So as we dive into today's message, I want you to think about what is it that you would change. Now, let's just be clear. This is, this is not about a resolution. This is not about empty words or something you forcefully do to get something back. This is the genuine change of the Holy Spirit in your life as you surrender and yield and acknowledge and recognize that you cannot without him. That is the most significant thing about becoming a serious Christian, that you realize as we go through today's talk that you have to be able to understand that you can do nothing, be nothing, accomplish nothing without Jesus. And it's not an ingredient that we sprinkle in the soup of life to make it taste better. It's actually an embodiment of who he is. It's actually who he is for you and for this world. And a lot of us come to Christ for the sake of, can you fix this for me? Can you fix the mess that I've created? Now, I know that God takes our messes and creates messages out of them, but you have to be willing to be still and know that he's God. you got to be willing to know that you're incapable of fixing the mess that you've made, that we've made. And just so you know, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. You're just listening to my conversation with God today. So in the next few weeks, we started a series last week that Zach uh, started, did an excellent job in getting it started. And the series is titled, Beat That Attitude. Beat That Attitude. And it's important for us to understand because there are some attitudes that you are holding near and dear. You're holding them like a, like a badge of honor. And they're detrimental to who you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be for others. Now, I'm going to say that again. It's harmful. It's toxic. Your attitude is a learned behavior that you have put your arms around and you won't let go. And I understand you've been hurt. I got that. I need to protect myself so you don't hurt me no more. So now this attitude has become a defense mechanism. It could be cynicism. It could be a criticism. It could be a judgment. It could be your fast mouth. Okay? It could be any of these things. But these are attitudes that are not conducive to who you're supposed to be if you're a Christian. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, then therefore these attitudes that you're holding on to. Now listen, this is not just a series for a month. This is our theme for the whole year. As you discover these attitudes, as we've learned together in this room around the word of God, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and pokes you today and pokes you tomorrow and says, yo, Bobby, that's not, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not Christ. Like That's you. And then you wonder why you're stuck. You wonder why you're in the place that you're in because you're constantly playing this dance of one step forward, two step backwards because you won't let go of that attitude. Now listen to me, you can't do it on your own. You just can't. I, I, I can't be the person God wants me to be if it's not for me understanding that I need him. That I need him. That I can't do it without him. Amen? Now, I know this to be true because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we haven't read our scripture yet, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says specifically that we are God's workmanship, created for good works. What God wants to do is to have fellowship with you and watch you as you have fellowship with him, embody his characteristics, and begin to act in this world different than everybody else's. That's what he wants, ultimately. But here's the biggest obstacle. It's your attitude. It's my attitude. It's what I've held on to because it, it's comfortable. 
It keeps people at arm's length, but let me tell you what it also do. It also keeps God from blessing you. Because he says, give it to me. He says, let me be the one that transforms you and makes you into the image of my son because this world needs to see what love looks like. This world needs to see what peace looks like, what joy looks like, what kindness looks like, what gentleness looks like. The world needs to see. And how else would the world be able to see if you don't demonstrate it? Now, I'm speaking to the believer. If you're a non-believer in this room, I'm glad that you're in this room. We welcome you. But you have to understand something. When Jesus is speaking to believers, what he's saying is, okay, you've said yes to me. You've invited me into your life. You've invited me. You're coming to church. You're, you know, you're reading your word. You're praying. You know, you're doing all the right things. But there is something that you're not doing. And let me just say this at the very beginning so you understand this. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he hasn't demonstrated for us. He rolls up his sleeves, and when he tells you to serve, he shows you how to serve. When he tells you to be quiet as people rail accusations at you, he shows you. So it's not something that he hasn't done. So this uh, you know, series, this, this, this talk today is not just about you. It's about Jesus. Where is Jesus in your life? As a believer, where is Jesus in your life? As a non-believer, why haven't you said yes to Jesus? Your life's a mess. Like, how many times are you going to crash that car? Like, like how many times? Like, listen, I, it took me a long time. It took me close to 15 years of patching up that car. Remember the, 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 the greatest way to fix your car was duct tape? Right? Your muffler broke down, duct tape, Right? I used so much duct tape in my life that it just became an outfit that I was wearing. And if you're a non-believer in this room, we're glad you're here. But we don't want you to leave here the same. We want you to realize that this is not a coincidence. This is a God incident. This is a divine appointment for you to have a birthday. A day in which you get off that beaten path that's taking you straight to hell and that you, by simply saying yes, you become on this path in which God begins to lead you and guide you and hopefully transform your life that not only helps you, but helps those around you. Amen? Let's stand to our feet because I want to read the scripture that we're going to be using today. Amen? And we know that we stand in this church not because we need some calisthenics, but because at the same time, we want to make sure that the word of God is above everything. and We want to honor that. So when God speaks, we want to be able to be fully attentive. At this time, I'm also going to take a commercial break and remind you to please silence your phones. I find it highly offensive if phones goes off in this room. I wouldn't offend you if I went to your place. Don't offend me. Please silence your phones at this time. Um, it's important for us to do that. It's amazing, right, because you come to church and, and there's certain etiquette within the church, right? Like if you go to a theater, like I remember going to a theater once and um, it was crazy. My wife wanted to see the Japanese dancers. Okay, I fell asleep. Just want to let you know, okay? Um, but as the show was about to start, we got there late. I won't say why, but we got there late. <laughs> we got there late and the doors were closed. Like, they would not let us in. I said, you crazy? I paid $100 for these seats. You're going to let me in, right? I got all, you know, ghetto on them, you know? I said, sorry, sir, you have to wait until intermission. And I'm like, see, so I say that only to say that, that there's etiquette outside there that you honor. So I need you to honor when you walk into this building. Now, I know we have a lot of activities in here. We have meetings, we have this, we have that. But today is church. Right? We're about Jesus right now. We're celebrating Jesus, worshiping Jesus, we're crying out to Jesus, we're listening to his word, we're saying amen, hallelujah, glory to God. We're about Jesus right now. So, so I'm asking you to lock in. Lock in, focus. Because there are distractions even in this room. And the devil shows up in church. 
Amen? So I'm grateful that everybody's here, but at the same time, I want us to be fully engaged in this moment. Give me 30 minutes of your time and hopefully allow God to speak into our lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the word of God is on the screen. I'm going to put it up there. And this is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Uh, You've heard it before. Uh, Hopefully we'll hear it and see it and feel it today differently. And it says this, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So what? Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Glory be to God. This is the right place to say amen. It's the right right place to say hallelujah. I I like going to my brother's church in Philly, uh, in Pennsylvania, because uh, they they, they say, preach, preacher, right? Like like, like they encourage you. It's not like you're dead. It's not a funeral. It's not a funeral. I I know it's Pastor Gus, and you feel, oh, my God, he's looking at me pop out. No, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm trying to encourage us to realize that if you're in Christ, your life looks like something. If you're a Christian, your life looks like something. We're not defeated. We are victors. We're not victims. We are victorious. Because of Christ Jesus, I can stand, puff out my chest, stick up my head in the sky and say, yes, I can. And not because of me, but because of him. Amen? So, so it's so important for us to be able to do that collectively as a whole. You know, we're in church. Let's so celebrate that. Let's continue to, you know, just remind ourselves for the glory of God of what's happening in this room right now. So, I want to start out, give you a little backstory about this scriptures we just read, right? These particular scriptures are called the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude is a Latin term because you know the Greek version and the translation, but the word there is makarios. So when it says blessed, it means makarios, but the word translated means happy. Now, it's not the happy that you think, right? Because things are going good, you're kind of happy. It's not an emotional happiness. The Beatitudes teach us. This is what it does. It teaches that we are blessed not by what we do, but by what we are to become. Everybody got that? It's not doing, it's becoming. And becoming is like this living, breathing organism. You know, I always say that that we move in steps, but we grow in stages. Right? We move in steps, right? Step one, step, but we grow in stages, right? There's this infant stage, there's this, you know, toddler stage and adolescent stage, and we grow. The scary part is when people don't grow. And you have 50-year-old men and women still acting like they're adolescents. It doesn't reflect. That, that attitude doesn't reflect who you're supposed to be. Amen? You, you need to accept growing old gracefully. You, you need to accept that that's happening. Amen? You know, you, you heard, you know, the people on the screen, how self-absorbed they were, right? Like, like all they, they, they wanted to talk about, I got to fix my double chin. I, I got to fix my calf. I need a six-pack. None of them said anything about being kinder, being gentler, being more loving. So, so how does it happen, Right? How do I go from being, from being a hater to a lover of people? How do I go from being a taker to a giver? How do I go uh, from, from, from like being so absorbed with myself that I begin to think of others more? 
The Beatitudes teaches that. And the Beatitudes are the preamble to this great discourse, right? Now, now Jesus does this whole Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's a homework for you. Write this down. Put it in your head because I need you to do this. Because I've noticed also that a lot of you are showing up to church with no Bible. That's what I'm noticing. Now, I know everybody's like, oh, man, there he goes again. No, listen, I am for you. I know what works. It's you being in your word. Am, am I lying? I mean, is anybody here studying the word of God? Is anybody here in the word of God? Because that's where the transformation of your life is going to happen. When I read something, it wrecks me. Listen, there are things in the Bible that I say it shouldn't be there. Because it's challenging me to think about my attitudes. It's challenging me to think about my behaviors. It's asking me, listen, this is the way it looks in the world, and this is how it looks for God. So the Beatitudes teaches that, and, and, and just so you know, this is the most powerful thing. Your homework is read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Why? Because this great Sermon on the Mount is not just the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the preamble. That means the very beginning of it. The preambles remind us of the character of a believer. The rest of the sermons, chapter 6 and 7 on, continue to teach us about the conduct that is required of believers. Now, Jesus is speaking to believers. And it's important that you understand that because what he does, and this is so powerful, he starts speaking in, in chapter 5, verse 1, and he doesn't end to Matthew chapter 7, verse 29. Talk about a long sermon. Three chapters. Three chapters. But he had a captive audience, and I'm going to tell you why. In Matthew chapter 4, we see that Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 25 won't be on the screen. I just want to read it because it's so integral to what we're talking about. It says that Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. This is the scene in now in chapter 5 where you see, because you're asking where all these people show up, they've been following. And, and, and using the backdrop of the Sea of Galilee, now he begins to speak to them, and it's not what they expect. And this is what I love about Jesus, right? He draws people in, giving them what they think they need, physical healing, right? Like, like that's what he did. And then he gives them what they really need. Amen. Come on now. <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's almost like a baited switch, bro. <laughs> it's almost like, here, that's what you need? Good. Here, I gave it to you. But let me tell you what you really need because the condition of your heart is what I'm concerned about. The battle for your soul is what worries me the most. See, we have to understand that what he's doing here is he's now teaching the people. And here's what I, I want to share this with you, right? You will never fulfill the conduct unless you embody the character of the Beatitudes. You'll never be able to do that unless you understand that, listen, first of all, let's just get this clear. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is not something that you do out here externally. This is something that you must embody because it's Jesus himself living within you that's going to help you to establish these characters in your life. Listen, you cannot be kind on your own. You're a mean person. Come on. You don't know how to love. Like, honestly, come on. Uh, you know, you just don't know how to love. And, and I'm, again, guys, you're listening to my conversation with God. You're eavesdropping. It's okay, you can eavesdrop today. But I'm having this conversation with God. You just happen to be in the room, and I'm grateful that you're here. But he's talking to me, too. Like, I did not understand love. Like, like the only love that I really, really, really was able to embrace was my mom's love, my mother's love. Like, seriously, 
Like, like, like my mom, you know, she covered for me. <laughs> you know, if, if police come knocking on your door with a picture of you, my mom will say, that's not my son. You got, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that kind of love is only the understood because in the world, growing up, you only, you know, you loved as people loved you. Right? If you didn't love me, I don't love you. But then Jesus does this upside down blessing. He goes in a different direction and he drops his bomb on you and he says, I love you. Hold on. I love you, period. There's nothing else. God, you mean you love me in my mess? Yep. You love me when I didn't love you? Yep. When I was far from you and an enemy and I despised you and I cursed you? Yep. That's what we call unconditional love. Loving someone and not expecting anything back. That's why I say you can't love. Because everything is based on conditions with us. If you call me, I call you. If I love you, I right? Come on, sponsors and sponsees in this room. When's the last time you called your sponsor? Oh, no, you're supposed to call me. You're supposed to call each other for crying out loud. Read the pamphlet. It's a reciprocated relationship. That's what it is. You call me, I call you. Why? Because we're growing together in this process. One is not better than the other. In fact, one needs the other. You need each other to make it work. So, you cannot fulfill the conduct unless you embody the character. You see, in order for me to not judge people, I got to realize that God never judged me. Until you embody that, you won't be able to do it. And that's why when you read chapter 6 and 7, you're going to see because it says things like that. It says things about, you know, uh, anger, and it talks about um, judging people, and it talks about worrying. You're going to see those things. Because you shouldn't worry. Why? Because if God is sovereign, right? The Bible says be anxious for No, no, it says be anxious for some things, you know? Like for some things, doesn't it that say that? See, I can trick you, right? Because you haven't read your Bible. Right? For nothing. Nothing. You shouldn't be anxious for nothing. Why? Because God has your life in his hands. And God is not going to allow things to come to your life that, first of all, he hasn't prepared you for, and he doesn't have a plan and a purpose for, right? Because ultimately, all those things that come into our life that God allows in our life is a permissible will of God to get us to look up. Like when God began to squeeze my life and begin to chip away at those things that I clung to and I thought that they were part of me, it was God's way of letting me know that my sufficiency is not in me. My sufficiency is in him. Amen. You see, when we make our lives about the things we have, then our possessions possess us. So we ask God for a nice car, and we wind up washing it on Sundays. We ask God for nice clothes, and we wind up doing laundry on Sundays. Now, it's not about the day, but it's about the condition of your heart. When we... You know, us just coming around through this room is not about the money. It's about the condition of your heart. Right? Because it's about worship. Everything we do is about worship. People say, oh, what is worship? It's a lifestyle. No, it's more than that. You're living the way you're living because of Christ in your life. Amen? Amen? So what we, norm what we do normally comes out of who we are. What you do is telling me who you are. Yeah, you didn't hear that one. That's the one you're going to skip today. What we do normally comes out of who we are. So I want to give you a definition of attitude that I want you to carry around with you for a little bit as we go through this series and throughout the year. And it says this. An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Okay, if you walked in, you should have a piece of paper in front of you that'll help you kind of follow through. But, but it says this, it's a settled way. What does it mean? That somehow this attitude has established roots in your life, right? It, it's, it, and, and this is some of the things you hear from people who act a particular way. You know what they tell you? That's just the way I am. <laughs> That's it, it's just the way I am. You don't like it? <laughs> You know, keep it moving, right? <laughs> like, seriously, like, people, you know, they, 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 they hold on to these attitudes and says, oh, that's just the way I am. Or, oh, they even go further and say, that's how God made me. Right? When we know God didn't make us that way. 
Now, we pick these things up as we went along, right? We got hurt here, we got here, we got a trauma here, we have an experience here, and slowly but surely it says, no, I'm never talking to people like that. I can't trust people. I, I can't be around people. You heard it on the screen. I will be more of an extrovert. Why? Because I'm spending a lot of time away from people. How much more are you spending less time around people now with this pandemic? I was reading this article the other day how in Hollywood the divorce rate has gone up through the sky because all these stars that live together can't be in that same house together now. <laughs> right? Before they were traveling, I had a concert, I had this, now they're in the house together. And they're like, no, I can't be with that person. It's crazy. So think about that for a moment. Your attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So what you think about God is why you stay away from him. Because somehow in your mind you hear this word father and you equate your father with God the father. And that's the biggest mistake you can make. That is so far from the truth that you have to realize at the end of the day, that heaven, your heavenly father is nothing compared to your earthly father. Nothing. Yes. Amen. We get some amens in this room for that one. Right? Like, like God is a loving and caring God who invites you into a relationship of holiness because you, without holiness, you're not going to see God. And holiness is not you walking around with a halo and wings and walking on water. Holiness is living a life that is separated. A life that reflects the glory of God in your life. How do I do that, Pastor? You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without knowing his word. You can't do it without him. My complete dependence is in him. Amen? So make sure that you hold on to that uh, definition throughout. Hopefully, you walked in here, you have a, a sermon map that was given to you. You can probably get one on your way out. Just to hold on to that, you can put it on your Instagram, put it on your Facebook page, whatever it is. But this definition is what we're working with moving forward when we talk about beat that attitude. Right, when we're talking about what is the attitude that is what? That is settled in your life that typically is reflected in your behavior. Right? Right? Like, why are you so stingy? Why are you so cheap? Right? Why every time we go out to dinner or something, you forget your wallet? Yeah, like, why is that? Why are you such a gossip? Right? Like, why are you always talking about people? Why are you always complaining? Oh, my God, you complain about everything. You complain about everything. Right? You, 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 you walk around with this growl, and you say you have joy. You know, you, you say you're content with what you have, but then you're reaching for overtime. And I understand, you know, pandemic, I got to try to make as much money as I can. I got it. But if it's pulling you further and further from God, then you're making that your God. And just be clear, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. And normally, the one that asks you to do the most is the one you're going to hate. So when God says you can't be with that person, you're like, what you talking about? You can't go there. What you talking about? Oh, God, you take away all the fun. No, because God knows your past, your present, and your future. He also knows what's harmful to you. He's letting you know, please, please don't do that. Honor this, people, place, and things in your life. That's not a cliche. That's not just something we throw in the air or put on a piece of paper when we go into a meeting. Listen to me. People, people without Christ are grimy. People with Christ are grimy. Do, do you understand what I'm saying here? Right? That, that it's all part of our community and us growing together and, and, and you know, just, just coming together in a way where we can be authentic and accountable to each other. I, I work with a lot of men. I have this heart for men, passion for men. My vision has always been to reach 300 men for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would be discipled and disciple their homes and become pillars in their local communities. That they would stand up and not be undercover Christians, but stand tall and say, I am a man of God. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and do that in their businesses, in the school, where they work, wherever they are, that I would walk into your place of business and I say, listen, I need to speak to a Christian here. And if they tell me there's no Christian here, you've been working there for 15 years, it's a problem. The character and the conduct. 
One will help you to embody the other. Amen? Amen. It's important for us to, to just understand that because here's what you have to understand, right? Beatitudes are the character portion of the Sermon of Jesus. It starts out at the very beginning, and he drops this upside-down blessing. And, and one of the things that, you know, like I grew up poor, right? I grew up poor. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not rich now. You know, tax purposes, I'm probably, you know, lower end of the middle class. Um, we'll talk about taxes some other time. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in a home of 13 brothers and sisters, right? Um, that's what our parents did. I don't know about your parents, but they just had kids. They spit them out. My mom spit them out two at a time sometimes, okay? Um, it's, her, it's her crowning glory. What I mean by that is my mom... Uh, went as far as seventh, eighth grade, right, in school. And then she became a mother. And that was her commitment for the rest of her life, even to this day. She's a mother. Amen? Amen. I, I say that only to say that if you grew up in a house that much, you, you talk about hand-me-downs. You talk about, listen, if you miss dinner, you're not eating, especially if you have a greedy brother, Right? And, and, and I had 10 of them, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so I, I say that only to say because even being poor, there were certain things that were instilled in me, right? One of them was a sense of value, sense of respect. You respect your elders. I was always told that you respect your elders. So even this day when I walk into church and there's somebody older, I always say bendición to them. Right? That's a Spanish blessing, right? Anybody who's not Puerto Rican, basically, bendición is you're asking for their blessing. And their response is, Dios te bendiga, which is God bless you. But it's a sense of respect and honor that you show older people. So I grew up that way. I grew up that way, and then when I came to Christ, for the glory of God, I wound up in a Pentecostal church that taught me how to grab a hold of God, how to pray, how to fast, how to read his word, how to serve. Basic things that I didn't know anything about. But in growing up poor, it gave me a sense of value. That means that God was using my, my mother to let me know. He says, whatever it is, you respect others. Are you holding on to that? Come talk about the attitudes, because some of us here are very disrespectful. Some of us here are still walking in that you know, attitude, right? That, no, if you don't respect me, I ain't respecting you. If you don't love me, I ain't love you. Know, like, like that's, that's childish. That's adolescent behavior. If you're in Christ, he doesn't say love them if they love you. He says love them. It's that simple, right? You say, oh, you know, I, no, it is that simple. You're complicated. And then the other thing I grew up believing was a sense of community. We learn how to care for one another. When I grew up, we didn't have backyards with fences, cameras, and dogs. We had front stoops. We had front yards where everybody just hung out in that front yard. And as people passed by in the neighborhood, they waved to you. They stopped and talked to you. If they, you know, if they bought something, they would give you a piece of something. Like there was a sense of community about caring for one another. And I'm hoping that the local church, that Recovery House of Worship Brooklyn and beyond, becomes a community that cares for the person next to you. But I can't teach that. It's something you have to embody because you came in contact with Jesus Christ. And here's what I know. Anybody who comes in contact with Jesus Christ that I've read in the Bible, they change. They change. The tax collector changed. The prostitute changed. The, the, the guy that went around persecuting Christians, he changed. And by the way, no, here's a kicker. They never went back. Yeah. They, they never went back. So a sense of community and value. So here's what I'm going to tell you. What is it that a poor person has that a rich person does not have? <laughs> Somebody said money. <laughs> I, didn't say, I, I, I didn't say the rich person. So you're not listening. I'm going to try it again. What is it that a poor person has that a rich person does not? Yeah, that's the kicker. Somebody said money. You weren't paying attention. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give it to you. Write this down quickly. Write it down in your arms. Your arms, tattoo it, put it in your forehead, you know, whatever. Humility. Humility and a complete dependence on God. 
<laughs> Humility and a complete dependence on God. So it's important for us to realize that when Jesus here is, is speaking about the poor in spirit, when he's referring to the poor in spirit, listen to me. This is not poverty about a physical condition because there's an issue here, right? Because when he says to be poor in the spirit, here's how I remember it. Here's how I want to remember it. I remember it, it's like a beggar in the street who has nothing and knows it. To be poor in the spirit is like being a beggar in the street who has nothing and he knows it. So to be poor in the spirit is not this physical condition. And then you have to be mindful that when you're poor in spirit, your complete dependence is on him. Now, that for us, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for us to kind of embrace that for a moment because he said, okay, so, so how can that be? Because the Holy Spirit in us is about power. You're absolutely right. The Holy Spirit about us is in power, but guess what? It's not your power. Everybody got that? It's not your power, it's his power. So the way into the kingdom is to know that we have nothing, that I can't follow Jesus without him, that I can't love or forgive without him, that I can't be generous without him, that I can't serve others without him. This is what we have to seek. We have to be poor in spirit. Although we are victors, the Lord, God has places in a heavenly place. He doesn't want us to act snooty with others. So being poor in spirit means that you are this beggar in the street who has nothing and knows it. And when you approach God, you're approaching him with humility. See, that's why I said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because he holds on to his riches. That's his God. Don't allow anything you have to be your God. Because first and foremost, God has blessed you, has given it to you, and has made you a steward of it. The money you have is not yours. Tithing is not a concept for you to be offended about. Tithing is a concept to get you to realize that God has blessed you with what you need to take care of the business you need to take care of. But here's what you do. You get caught up with your wants rather than your needs. You extend yourself, and that shiny credit card that shows up in the mail releases your hunger to want things. And then you accumulate debt. And then you don't give in the church because your heart is caught up with your debt. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just talking to myself. No, no, no. I, I, again, you're, you're invited into this conversation. So it's important when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says simply, we must be humble in our spirits. So if we put the word humble in the place of poor, you will understand what he meant. Blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when we come to God, we must realize our sin, our spiritual emptiness and poverty. We must not be self-satisfied or proud in our hearts thinking we don't need God. See, we come to God proud that way. God can't bless us. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace message will be another day because everybody is stuck on grace being unmerited favor. It's more than that. It's the power for us to be able to live this life. It's like this bucket of everything we need. It's labeled grace. Yes, it starts out with unmerited favor because at the end of the day, you're guilty. You did it. But God says, no, I'll take the blame for you. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is that you don't have to pay the price for your sin debt. And it's not just your past sin. It's a sin you committed before you got here. It's a sin you're going to commit when you leave this place. It's a sinful thought that you're having right now. My God has forgiven you for all that as a believer. Amen? It says, so what is an attitude? What is the attitude you need to be? What, what is one attitude you need to be? <clears throat> I want to talk to you about two. One is the kingdom of heaven attitude is humility. Kingdom of the world attitude is pride. Pride. So let's beat that attitude. Let, let's beat pride, right? And, and just so you know, um, if you have to say you're humble, Chances are you're not. 
Like if you have to say in the midst of something, I'm being very humble right now. You're not being humble right now. You're restraining yourself, but you're not being humble. Okay? So what is pride? Pride is an exaggerated sense of yourself. You, you have this self-importance. You place yourself above others. It's scary to think about it because there's a whole list of things about pride, but here's one of the things about pride. And, and again, if the shoe fix, take it off. <laughs> Get rid of it. <laughs> We're talking about attitudes, attitudes that you are holding on to that are harmful to you and harmful to others and are keeping the glory of God from manifesting itself in your life. You can't talk about faith and constantly be worried. Amen? So I just want to give you a few, just a, you know, pride alienates us from God. Whether consciously or not, the proud are estranged from God. Pride is about self-devotion, self-justification, self-glorying, and contempt of God. Watch this. Pride is letting you or your family or friends suffer because you don't want any help. <laughs> yeah, you. That's you. You got it. You, you, now, listen to that. Pride is letting you or your family and friends suffer because you don't want help. Listen, we always say I'm not hurting anybody. But is that true? You're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting others. When I was out running the streets, I was hurting my mom because she was staying up late waiting for me to come home. True story. My mom would always wait up looking out the window all the time. And the way I found that out one day, because every night when I came in, I tiptoed into her room and I kissed her. And it scared the crap out of me because when I went to kiss her one night, her face was cold. Her face was cold and it scared me. And then I kind of nudge her and she says, oh, okay, faking it. And I said, Mom, why are you so cold? She says, no, nah, I just I don't feel well. She was out the window on a cold day. And when she saw me coming up the block, she ran into bed and cuddled her. You think you're not hurting anybody? You think that when you're out there with this attitude of yours that you're not harming somebody? You know, in Spanish, when a kid acts up, they say, es un macriao. Watch that, because that word in Spanish means that you were raised wrong. And that's not true. You weren't raised with this attitude. You picked it up along the way, this whole idea of not getting help when you need it. Here's another thing about pride. Pride is fueled by putting others down. Come on now. See, you showed up to church today thinking it was going to be all hallelujah, glory to God. You should know better. Measuring our, measuring our achievements against someone else Pride is normally about your self-worth and your shame. We, see, we feel so badly about ourselves that we compensate by exaggerating our superiority over others. We look for flaws in others to try to conceal our own. Oh, you can hear a pin drop up in here. These are the attitudes we have to beat. Today, I'm just simply talking about pride. It, 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 it's, it's the kingdom of heaven attitude is humility. I'm thinking more of others than I do myself. I'm realizing my total dependence on Jesus Christ. I can't do this without him. I can't. I don't even want to attempt it. Like, like, like think about it. Like, I just use this term. It says, Jesus here is completely going in a different direction. Some of us are still caught up with the external appearance of how others perceive us. We are self-righteous. We're self-sufficient. We're afraid to beg. I'm not afraid to beg. I'm not afraid to come to God and say, God, I, 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 I need you. 
Like, I need mercy. I need charity. I need forgiveness. Some of us don't want to beg. How many of you think that you're forgiven in this room if you haven't asked for it? How many of you just assume it comes with the territory rather than coming to God and saying, God, forgive me? And then forgive me for what? Stop these general statements. Stop these, you know, you know, oh, forgive me for sin. Which one, Bobby? Because you have a whole list of them. Let's be specific. Let's pray specifically. Father, forgive me for my arrogance. Because, guys, I struggled with pride. And there are moments I still struggle with pride. And if it were not for the Holy Spirit to convict me and a loving and caring wife in my life who constantly reminds me, you're not all that, puppy. We we need that in our lives. We, We need people around us that have access to us that tell us the truth. Do you have that in your life? Do you have people that you will accept their constructive criticism without bugging out? That you've allowed into your life that you know, that you know, that you know that they are for you. That they're on your side, but they won't co-sign your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not listening, right? You, you got to listen to this because when you have an exaggerated view of yourself, you're just like an inflated balloon. And all you need to bust that balloon is a little pin. He goes on. It's important for us to understand. I'm not afraid to beg. Are you afraid to beg? Because it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'll close with this so that you understand, please. Because we're not finished. We're running out of time, okay? I got 100 pages here, okay? But listen to this. It's important for you to understand that there are attitudes that are hindering you. There are attitudes that are keeping you from glorifying God. Right? And because we're in this progressive sanctification, which is, as I say, no to sin, and I move towards God, God begins to show me things. I accept that, and I turn it over to God. Everybody understand that? Because that's, that's this walk. The walk is, okay, I just started this. I don't know. I'm a little bugged out. I'm a little crazy. You know, I don't fully understand this stuff. You ask me to read the Bible. I don't know how to read. You know, like, you, you go through those stuff, right? I got it. I understand that. Right? By the way, if, if, if you have problems reading, download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. It reads it to you. No excuse. It reads it to you. Okay? And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So download that app. You know the, the gambling app you got? Get rid of that one and put the uh, Bible app in there. Okay? So it's called YouVersion. Okay? But understanding that because... Jesus now throws these upside-down blessings, and next week we're going to talk about mourn and meek because Eminem is confused, right? I'm not about the rapper. I'm talking about the mourning and the meek in this upside-down blessing. So next week we're going to be talking about that. But this week is the poor in spirit, and I want you to understand it's not the poor spirit that's within you. It's the attitude that you approach God with. And here it says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That little two-letter word is, is significant for you to grasp. Because it doesn't say will be. It doesn't say will be. It says is. And he's like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? Is the kingdom of heaven. Watch. I'm going to give you something that you've been praying all your life. Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of a prayer that most of us do, and we do it rather quickly, like our wedding vows. And then we forget. Father, let thy kingdom come where? On earth. So this kingdom uh, that he's talking about in heaven is now, as believers, we can usher in the kingdom of God in a way that people will be attracted to who you are and what you believe. Because it's not about pride. It's about humility. So this kingdom of heaven attitude that you have should be humility. Humility. Somebody say humility. humility. Somebody say humility. humility. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be humble. <laughs> like if you came with someone that was easy, like, yeah, you need to be humble, right? Think about that, man. Seriously. And, 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 and here's the other side, right? 
the kingdom of this world attitude is pride. Pride. And it scares me, man. It scares me because I see the news. I see what's going on. You know, I see how man's ego, you know, tries to lead the way. You know, we know what ego is. It's easing God out of the picture. I got that. But this pride, this arrogance, this, this sense of entitlement, this, this sense that um, I deserve, right? I deserve this. Listen to me. You deserve hell. Each and every one of us in this room deserve hell. We have earned it. But because of the grace of God, he sent his son who carried this piece of wood up the hill, got nailed to it, bled, and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And his love was poured out. And not only that, but he gives us gifts. Not only that, but he didn't leave us orphans. He deposits the Holy Spirit within us. Come on now. You got a whole package deal. And you didn't pay for it. His blood paid for it. I'm not afraid to beg. I'm not afraid to beg because I'm in need. See, I can't do it without him. I don't want to do it without him. Left to my own devices, I create a hot mess. Left to your own devices, you're pretty scary too. Right? Ladies, you ever wake up with no makeup? Hair strung out? Imagine being like that all the time. And guys, you know, different. Somewhere along the way, somebody lied to you about what it is to be a man. And being a man in body is not about being macho, not about being strong. Is embodying who Christ is and watching his movement, watching what he did, how he touched people, how he loved people, how he cared for people. And please stop using the fact that he turned over tables to justify your anger. Please. So, I want to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I want to pray for you before we leave um, especially in light of humility and pride. Um, I know that in reading and studying, I've discovered some things about myself that I've bring to God and that I'm uh, being accountable with the people in my life.